This is Fantastical Truth from Lorehaven. I am E. Stephen Burnett. Thank you for joining us. In this podcast, we find truth in fantastic stories, and we apply these amazing worlds to the real world that God calls us to serve. I'm Zachary Russell, and this is episode four. Today, we're exploring the most popular discussions that Christian fantasy fans are engaging in. This is taken from an article on speculative faith, which examined the top 10 most read articles in 2019 on that same site. Spec Faith is the original website from which Lorehaven was born, and Stephen, tell us some more about it. Well, I've been writing for Speculative Faith uh, since uh, 2007. Oh, actually, I think it was 2006 is when I started. Some volunteer Christian fantasy writers had started that as a team blog. My goodness, at about this point, that's about 14 years old, uh, 13 and a half as we're recording this. Spec Faith is now part of the Lorehaven ecosystem. It's uh, it's a equivalent to a planet uh, orbiting Lorehaven as the star in the middle of it. Uh, many, many Christian novelists have written there. It is a daily blog populated entirely by volunteers. So while Lorehaven is a quarterly free digital magazine to which you can subscribe for free with reviews of Christian-made fantasy novels, Speculative Faith has been a lot broader in emphasis with uh, articles every weekday, Monday through Friday, from many, many different voices, some of whom write these kinds of stories and a lot of whom are just big fans of these stories. Right now, I'm writing there on Tuesdays, and we have several other contributors who have been very, very faithful in contributing these many articles since 2006. Uh, This article is the one, I actually wrote this on the first Tuesday of uh, 2020 in January, uh, and I titled it, These Are the Top 10 Most Read Spec Faith Articles in 2019. Now, a few of those were like a writing contest that we were doing and a review or two that weren't too controversial, but seven of these top articles at Speculative Faith, they focused on some big uh, current or ongoing debates that are pretty familiar for Christian fans of fantasy fiction. And by the way, when we say Christian fantasy fans, that is a shorthand for Christians who love fantasy no matter where they find it. So we're just going to go through uh, seven of these uh, debates and kind of do some quick hits of these topics and try to go through them as quickly as possible, even though I'm pretty sure we'll have more to say about at least one, probably more of these in future episodes of the Fantastical Truth Podcast. Yeah, and what's cool about Speculative Faith, Stephen, is that's how I got to know you originally. Ah, that is right, yes. I I, uh, found this website, I think in 2016, made a comment on it, reached out to you, because in your bio, we realized we lived really close to each other. And so I credit this website with uh, a good friendship. But that's uh, that whole origin story is a topic for another podcast episode. As is the fact that if you be who you are in real life on the internet, good things happen. So there we go. Do that as often as you can. All right. So let's talk about. Well, it's number eleven on the article, but we'll call it number seven for the purposes of this podcast. The title was Captain Marvel left me baffled and disappointed. So Stephen, what, why this title? Well, this was a review from Marion Jacobs, uh, who has been writing for Lorehaven Magazine. Uh, she's a friend of mine. Uh, she's a mother of three, and she's a big fantasy fan. And like some, but not all, fans of the Marvel superhero universe on screen, uh, she, was, uh, she was not a fan of the Captain Marvel movie that we got uh, last year. She spelled out exactly why she wasn't a fan, but... Some of the criticisms may be somewhat familiar, especially for those who said, like, she's so stoic. I couldn't really empathize with the character of Carol Danvers. Yeah, I wrote a note here. She's basically Qui-Gon Jinn from The Phantom Menace. 
And I, I think that was Marion's observation. It's not a positive comparison there, right. is it? <laughs> no, you, you weren't saying uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, yeah. Qui-Gon Jinn, who was met very, his He's kind end. of forgettable. He's, he was awesome, but... Nah, Looks okay. a little bit like Space Jesus with a laser sword, but otherwise... Uh, and, of course, it's uh, played by Liam Neeson, who actually playing an action star there. Uh, this is what uh, Marion... You, you should do every article in that voice, I, by the way. I, I was headline. barely trying to do the impersonation. <laughs> uh, let's work on that for next time. I'll tell you what, though. I, I really wanted to like this movie. I think and we it, all did. I yeah. mean, Agent Coulson is in it from the mid-90s. Nick Fury is in it. Samuel L. Jackson. Right. Well, in, in, in the for early me, days. It's, it's a personal thing. Like, I have daughters and my... There's a cat with tentacles. Yeah. I, and spaceships. I watched this with my 13-year-old uh, daughter, and she was kind of meh. At the end of it, and I thought, man, why, why is it not connecting with her? Why Didn't is it not connecting with she want a positive female STEM <laughs> role model? Yeah. Girl power and I so mean, on? Well, especially there's that kind of hero rising sequence at the end that seemed, it seemed awesome, but Marion had a really good point that ultimately Captain Marvel turns to the silent man stereotype to save her. So it had this sort of weird message about emotions and about engaging with your emotional self or the, your emotional dimension that it's, is it important? Is it not important to have emotions? I don't really know. I left more confused after that movie with what it's trying to say about our soul and about our emotions. Well, that's because you're a dude. No, this movie wasn't <laughs> made for you. And that's a legitimate response from some women who got a lot more out of the story than I did. And as a Batman v Superman apologist, I can understand having your favorite superhero movie or one of your favorite superhero movies being misunderstood or even being roundly mocked. So I'm perfectly open to hearing different perspectives on this movie. But in this case, in Marion's review, uh, she being of the female persuasion and gifting was not a fan. And I don't think it was because you know, some enemies of the movie or trolls on the internet got to her. Uh, she, right. she just naturally did not empathize and to read more about that, you'd have to go uh, exactly. I have to believe all of them. Well, in this case, you know, I, I, I think that her points are well worth engaging with, especially when she say, well, the, well, the writing of the film was a mess. You know, she also didn't get what was going on with the message about emotions. My guess here, just a personal perspective, not, not necessarily what Marion wrote. My guess is there was probably more about this in a longer version of the film my guess is that a lot of cutscenes or moments left unfilmed from an original script would have shed a lot more light on it. But if I remember correctly, this is one of those movies that has, you know, four different credited screenwriters, which probably means that even well, it's more designed people, by committee. Well, exactly. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be bad. I mean, Spider-Man uh, Into the Spider-Verse had several different uh, uh, credited writers. But that means that there's lots more people who also had uh, their hands in the pot, as it were, in the kitchen. And sometimes that turns out great because you've got the creative gifts of all those people being pulled together. And then sometimes it turns out okay. And then along comes a producer or an editor who says, oh, we got to get it down to two hours, 10 minutes so we can get in more show time. So yeah, and that's could, just my theory. Haven't read anything about that. It just feels like that's what happened. That's an interesting theory. I, I definitely can see that at work because, so I work in the film and video world and it's very much a collaborative process, but it really does come down to a director or producer being a strong decision maker and hearing a lot of ideas and input, but having a clear vision for it. And I personally, that's what I think was missing is just having a, a singular clear vision about what it's trying to say and what it's about. But I really like what Marion had to say in this article. And I'm quoting here. She says, when we marry logic and emotions, we better understand who God is. He is both a meticulous planner as well as a passionate father. I thought that was an excellent point. 
And I wish the movie had made that point. <laughs> and it seemed like it was going to make that point, but I, I don't know what point it was trying to make. Well, again, maybe that's just because we're dudes and we missed the point. So yeah, please, that's very possible for, for our, for our female fans among our presumably very diverse audience. We want to hear from you. Let us know, set us straight. And this is a topic for future discussion that we need to have graciously and yet based on truth and mindful of the legitimate personal feelings that we have about stories like this. And although maybe we won't be talking about Captain Marvel specifically in coming years, my guess is that conversations like these are going to keep happening about big franchise movies in the Marvel universe, the Star Wars universe, Star Trek, Harry Potter, all of those different films. Uh, Christians are going to keep talking about this. And my guess is we'll, we'll keep seeing this topic come back with those other kinds of stories. Uh, we'll also see continued conversations about what turns out to have been a, an older article at Speculative Faith that came back in popularity in the year 2019, probably just because the title was so great. It was called Should Christians Enjoy Fantasy? And no. No? That's my answer. No. Not at all? Next. All right. That's a wrap. <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, home cooking now. All right. That's <laughs> it. And we're going to have to change all of, our, all of our names and marketing and all of that. <sighs> that's hard. <laughs> yeah. But, th- you know, this article starts off with the very sincere question, which I was just talking with someone a couple of days ago about, since the Bible teaches us to avoid sorcery, shouldn't we also avoid it with our reading and writing? And, you know, I can understand this question. And long story short, maybe another podcast episode, there was a time in my life when I had to get far away from the fantasy genre, and it just didn't, it wasn't something healthy for me for a while. and. Uh, Pam, the author of this article, says she never had any doubts about whether it was okay to enjoy fantasy. In my case, you know, I I had some doubts and there was some personal experiences. Like I said, a whole long story. I don't really feel that way now. I got to a point where, hey, I can enjoy these books and it's fine. But what it but what my journey through all this has made me realize is there are different convictions about this and there's room for that and among Christian fans. Pam says, if you pick up a novel and it doesn't sit right with you, stop reading it. It's, it's really, it's okay to put it down. And if you're listening to this and you're the type of reader that could never imagine not finishing a book, that may be really hard to take that advice. I, I can relate to that. I have a lot of books that I, I've abandoned them effectively, but I haven't officially abandoned them. You know what I mean? Like they're sitting on my nightstand. They still got a bookmark in there. I'll, I'll get to them eventually. But, you know, there really is a point at which for you, it may not be good to finish that book and that's okay. And, you know, the main point she makes, uh, she says, quote, there's a difference between using magic and wizards to move a, the plot along, uh, versus glorifying the practice of them. And I think that's really what the debate is about. Stephen, what what do you think? I know you have a lot to say about well, this. Well, so. definitely, and we actually have the specific uh, topic of of fictional magic up here again on this list, as I think it has in one way or another every year since I wrote that other article. It it really comes down to you know what are the definitions of magic, what are the definitions of wizard in the real world versus the fantasy world. In this case, I, I really love Pam Halter's emphasis on what you benefit from. And to me, speaking as a Christian, that is something that you absolutely have to keep in mind as you're enjoying fantasy. I think that fantasy, creative gifts, all of that comes from God. The gift of imagination is found implicit in 
uh, that Genesis 128 call to fill the earth, subdue the earth, steward the earth, and make something of the creations that God has given us. Of course, now we don't live in that perfect world anymore. We live in a world of sin, and so we're going to have those sinful struggles with good gifts. That is absolutely expected. Now that Jesus has saved us, we're set forth on that journey, but it is a, it is a quest, and we're going to keep encountering those areas of temptation, even with good gifts. You know, How much is too much fantasy? When do I stop enjoying the gift and actually start idolizing the gift? You know, she, she really approaches that here, and it's something that we're just going to keep talking about as Christian fans, and we should, because you can fall into all kinds of legalistic traps here. Either the old legalistic trap of, oh no, fantasy is evil, it's all evil, we should just read the Bible and biographies, or the other trap that isn't as commonly discussed which is, I've got to read all the fantasy, uh, almost can feel enslaved into keeping up with the fandom or buying every comic book. Talking about FOMO. Well, if you're missing out. Yes, exactly. I mean, I I struggle with that sometimes, you know, particularly if I'm watching an anime or something. I mean, there's just thousands of episodes of this stuff, and there's only so much time in the year, in the life, and yeah, sometimes you just need to put it down. Maybe not even if it tempts you, but if it's getting in the way of your other callings, your family, your church, things like that, sure, that's, that's a discussion you need to have uh, with, uh, with the Lord and with uh, those who have your best interests at heart. Now, you made an interesting comment a minute ago, and I just want to clarify for our listener, but you said God gives us good gifts, and you're talking about fiction Absolutely. as, as that gift. Absolutely. We're, so we're kind of beyond like magic, sorcery, but we're talking right, about yeah, fiction no, about those things. The fiction about that, well, just the idea of fiction is God's idea because it fits into the idea that humans, when we make stuff, when we are creative, when we exercise our imaginations, we are putting into practice things that God has given us. Yeah. Hey, so for our next one, our next one on our list, we want to give a quick disclaimer or a content warning. So if you're a young listener or family Listening to this, uh, you may want to skip this next one if you don't feel it's appropriate, but just putting that out there. Stephen, why don't you read off the, the title of the next item? Well, the first three words will definitely clue you in as to the, the age appropriateness here, which I would, I would myself put you know, mid-teen or older, but everyone has their different convictions. This is an article called Game of Thrones. There's the first three words. Game of Thrones sex. It's not just awkward. It's violation. Uh, This is from my friend Cap Stewart. He has some really good things to say about not just Game of Thrones, which I don't think either of us have seen. I know I haven't. I don't think that he has. No judgment if you have seen it. There's different ways Christians cope with this. But the topic here is that those kinds of scenes, you know the ones, they're not just awkward, like, oh no, they're they're going doing this thing again. Can we get back to the dragons now? Can we get back to the fantasy politics now? And then there's this terrible thing going on which in the best defense of that, the terrible thing that's happening is designed to show you how terrible it is. Of course, there's only one way to know how terrible it is, and that's to see all of it, right? That, so goes one of the arguments. Another argument is, oh, oh, these scenes are art, capital A, they are art, and all that. I sound a little mocking here, Zach. Can you hear me? I'm, I'm a little skeptical. <laughs> I have to admit, my, my bias is showing here. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as gracious as possible. So yeah, I, I'm in a weird place with all this, you know? So I mentioned a little while ago that I grew up loving all kinds of fantasy and mostly novels. There weren't a whole lot of, you know, movies like and TV shows like we're seeing 
we're kind of in the golden age now of all that. But there was a time when watching this sort of show really wouldn't have bothered me, especially before I knew the Lord. And then there was a time where I just had to get away from all this stuff as a young Christian. But now I'm in an interesting place where I have a lot of friends, both Christian and non-Christian, that love this show, that really enjoy it. And, you know, I don't want to throw shade or judge those friends. But at the same time, I've never watched this show, and I don't think I ever would. Some of that comes back to, again, just being a father and just thinking through, I don't want to give any sort of approval to how women not just the characters, but women, the actors were treated as part of the show. And there's some really interesting articles I've run across with this where well, Cap Stewart has written several of those. Right. And himself. yeah, that's one of the ones I'm thinking of where the actresses have come forward and said, you know, what we went through is really not okay. And it's not what we really signed up for. And it's okay. They told us some of this was going to happen, but not to the degree it happened. And yeah, I, I have a real hard time now. Like I have even less desire to see the show because of that, knowing how it's basically traumatized some of the people that were involved. And it it reminds me of a debate from a couple of years ago. I just thought of where uh, there was a certain horror movie that traumatized the people that made it. And the premise of the movie, and I'm not going to name it, but it was very interesting to me. But then I heard that, that there were people that basically committed suicide after that movie. And I just thought, man, I, I can't support that movie now. Like I, I just don't want to watch that or have anything to do with that. Not because I think something horrible happened to me. Like it's not like a, like a curse. I don't really believe in that, but it's more, I just don't want to support. Like, like, I can't watch everything. Like you said, it comes down to a matter of time right. and I'm going to spend my time on yes. things that are more satisfying overall. So. Right. Well, in this case, this art, this article is actually from Cap Stewart from 2017. So already now we're going on two and then three years as we're recording this. Christians have been talking about this show in particular for a long time, but last year it actually wrapped up with a controversial finale. We actually have an article about that uh, later on, one that I wrote last year. But in this case, what you mentioned there about the difference between, and, and it is a difference, and this article is a good introduction to the difference. Usually when Christians are talking about shows like these, we approach it from the perspective of personal purity. In a debate about a show like this, one person says, I watched the show, I fast-forwarded the bits, I didn't sin any more than usual. Another Christian may say, and yes, I do think that this can be something that a sincere Christian says. Uh, I know of at least one uh, conservative political columnist who's in this camp. He says, I watched the show, he doesn't mention anything about fast-forwarding anything, he just he mentions that, that that stuff doesn't bother me. But in this case, Cap Stewart takes the perspective of actually it doesn't matter what my reaction is first and foremost. It matters what happened to the people making it. I think sometimes we forget that to get art like this, it doesn't just grow on a tree somewhere. People have to sign contracts and train hard and they're human beings and there are difficult working conditions even on even in a movie where nobody has to film these kinds of scenes. But in this case, like you said, people have spoken out afterwards, particularly women, and said, actually, yes, it was my choice, but paraphrasing what they've said, what they say afterwards indicates that they, they felt pressured to do it. It was a system. 
there are men in the system. There are abusive men in the uh, the movie making and show making system. We know this, and in this case, it's not just the overt, terrible stuff that goes on that we're hearing about with the hashtag Me Too movement. But this is the subtler and possibly scarier form is where some of this exploitation, and that's the word to use, is happening right in front of us. So, oh man, we could go on yeah, <laughs> about this well, for a very long time. Just a quick wrap up to that. We're going to have more episodes about it too. Just a quick wrap up to that. I, I thought of this term I've heard a lot, ethical consumerism. That's a whole other podcast episode probably, but that is the trend I've noticed among Christians and non-Christian viewers of these shows is they're having that same sort of reaction of, can I enjoy a product that was not ethically created? And this goes, not just, this is way beyond the media world now. This is coffee and I can't help uh, but think about it when I'm unwrapping Christmas lights that I know were probably made in China somewhere. And how are they doing? You know, is this helping people in China? Is this helping their working conditions over time? Or am I just enabling them to stay in a, in a really terrible situation? Right. And I, I think that's the more interesting argument that Christians are having. So, so we're going to keep having it. So let's move on to our next one. If you're just joining us again, we are at number four. And this is six Christian white magic spells worse than fantasy magic. Now, Stephen, this is one of your articles from 2016, and I, I want to hear more from you about it in a minute. But, you know, I had this revelation once, uh, and this was years and years ago after watching a horror movie, which, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, you're just getting to know us. I actually don't watch that much horror. Um, well, that makes two of us. A lot of it is kind of in my past, but... Um, that makes one of us. <clears throat> that's, uh, well... No judgment at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I read Dracula a few years ago and I was rather yeah. enthralled, so I can definitely see the appeal. It, it, it kind of comes and goes for me, but I had this thought years ago. What if the point of the devil using fear against us is to get us to trust in the wrong things. So there's certain cultures in the world that are fear power based and there's a heightened attention given to evil spirits. They want protection. Um, So they put their trust in amulets or rituals or certain, certain people that fill that role. I just thought, you know, that's not how we usually think of fear and horror in a postmodern world. But what if the whole point of spiritual warfare is to get us just to take our trust away from God in some subtle ways, maybe as a Christian. So what if in our being consumed with worry about black magic, we fall into the other ditch of trusting in white magic. And I want to hear what you mean by this title, but I'll tell you what I think you mean. And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Go for it. Um, this is actually my, one of my pastor's favorite stories from the book of Acts, or maybe the favorite story in the whole Bible. It's where some unnamed disciples try to cast out a demon and they say in the name of Paul. And then the demon says, well, I know about Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? And then that is so funny in being like in the Bible. Yeah. So the demon through this man beats them all up and they, they really get, they get turned out of there. I read that when I read that passage, I hear the, <laughs> once I get over the, the seriousness of the situation, I, I still hear the Benny Hill theme, <laughs> the yackety sax. It's just, it's, um, yeah, that's, uh, that it's, it's at one, it's, it's a the very most slapstick part. It of the is Bible. really one of the more slapstick parts. And yet it is also very serious because yeah, right. you have people don't know whether well-meaning or not, but they're just running around going, Oh, I, I know if you say this name, you get to cast out demons and people like that. Right. They might give you money. So it's a magic I'm going to give word. it a shot. Yeah. And they ran into one demon who did not play by the rules <laughs> that they just made up. 
So what was your question you said? Well, so am I on the right track here when you when you talk about Christian white magic spells? Is that kind of what you mean? Like, in the name of Paul, I command you. Something like that. I mean, that, that's, a, uh, that's a New Testament example uh, from the first century. Uh, if I had to do this article over, it is uh, about three to four years old. Um, I might add a little grace even in the title, and I might put the phrase white magic in quotes, because I don't mean to accuse my brothers and sisters in Christ of actually trying to practice some occult ritual, you know, that's uh, that's dressed up in spiritual or you know Christian clothing. I, I highly doubt that most of us mean to do that. But what I mean is is this: that if someone, for example, uh, is uh, is scared of, say, the devil, right? That's a real thing to be scared of. The Bible warns us against Satan, warns us against his schemes in some way or other. Satan and his demonic agents are still active in the world today, even though Scripture says that Jesus has defeated Satan. Uh, he is a defeated foe, but he is still, in some way or other, uh, still able to, to tempt the world. Most Christians believe this. Okay, so let's say that we are afraid of Satan. Now, what we end up doing then, some of us for real, will, let's say, walk into a room. I've actually seen at least one spiritual warfare author uh, who suggests this. You walk into a room and you say a prayer or even do some kind of physical motion to cleanse the room of a dark spiritual influence. There's nothing in the Bible that describes a situation like that that I've seen, much less tells us to do something like that. And there's actually something more pagan about a practice like that than there is in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that we take physical space back from the devil with particular words or rituals or prayers or thoughts or even use of the name of Jesus. I would put that in the category of a Christian white magic practice. And what I said in, in this article, uh, I describe a few of those examples, I, I hope in as graciously a fashion as possible, and I, I, what I say is, quote, God never establishes a magic system. God never promised us that if we do X, will achieve some reward, health or wealth. That's another white magic example. And back to the quote, protection from evil influence, personal guidance, romance, or popularity in the world. Instead, he promises something better himself with grace to meet every challenge, end quote. And I would point back to Deuteronomy 18, which warns God's old covenant people, Israel, against what would have been to them white magic practices. It, it talks about you know, divination and some other practices that to them may have seemed harmless. The point was to make sure that they could have a lot of children, that they would have a good harvest that year, that they would know what was coming in the future. God tells them, no, don't do that. And oh, by the way, also don't do dark magic like sacrificing your children. What he says instead is, it's okay to want to know what's in the future. It's okay to want to have that reassurance but I'm the one who gives that. God says, I'm the sole provider of those promises. So instead of doing these magic practices, you must look for my final prophet. When he shows up, he will tell you what to do. I'm paraphrasing a lot from Deuteronomy 18, but suffice it to say, you can't read the don't do magic parts without getting to the trust Jesus instead parts. You're talking really, Stephen, in, in kind of the realm of rituals that we can fall into doing as Christians that become sort of this yeah, system of what we trust in for safety, for prosperity. And I, th I think I can relate to this in one way. There was a time where I 
believe that I had to start every single day by reading the Bible. Well, even that can become right. a kind of white magic practice, now, especially just if you're expecting, if I do this, then I'm going to get this. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm getting at. Because we should read our Bibles every day. There's, Absolutely. there's nothing wrong at all. In fact, it's, it's very encouraged to read the Bible every day, but is it required to have success in life, success in business? Well, that's where you're getting into sort of the wrong motivations for reading the Bible because the Bible is what points us to God. Like Jesus said to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures because you think in them you'll have life, but these are the scriptures that testify of me. So life is found in Christ. The scriptures point us to Christ. It's not just the act of opening my Bible and reading it that is going to give me life. It's right. Christ that gives us life. And so nothing wrong with reading the Bible. Like, don't, don't hear us say, listener, that we think you shouldn't read the Bible every day. But you know, those little odd sort of motivations can creep in, even with good things. And I, I think that's the spirit of what you're going for with this article is it's not wrong to uh, call upon the name of Jesus for protection from demons. But if you've somehow created the system that, is a sort of extra biblical. Well, maybe you should think about that. But right, and and I might say it a little bit differently now, particularly with the grace that I mentioned. Yeah. But but here, especially writing on speculative faith for an audience of Christian fans of fantasy, you know, nerds, geeks, comic readers, movie lovers. My point in emphasizing this here is that you don't make everything safe in your fiction just by getting rid of the obvious things or what you think might be obvious symbols or images that represent magic, you know, broomsticks, wands, uh, you know, uh, the wizard robes, things like that, you know, all of those may or may not be harmful in the story to you or to anyone, but Christians sometimes will give the white magic bits a pass. And I will you know, point to certain uh, devotionals or nonfiction or you know, other materials that do literally encourage practices that sound a lot like promises that God hasn't given. If you do this, then you're going to get health, wealth, prosperity, a happy family, kids that follow Jesus, more influence in the world, a nice platform for your preaching ministry, things like that, that God may give you, and we hope he will, but may not give you. Either way, it's not going to be because of anything you did. Let's move on to the next one. Absolutely. This one won't take as long. Uh, it actually points more towards a, uh, uh, more towards a, a, a broader topic uh, that we see. Well, this on, is on the one that really faith. baffled you when we talked last time. Just a bit, yes, because it keeps coming back in the, in the top items uh, <laughs> in speculative faith. Uh, people keep looking for this and then, uh, and then tracing it back to the speculative faith website. Sometimes I see that result every day on there. This is number three. Analysis of Hell is the Absence of God by Ted Chang, Part 1. <laughs> so yeah. w- when was this written, Stephen? Oh, man. This was literally in the first year of the site, 2006, by a writer who uh, was writing for us at the time named uh, Myrdica Schultz. And she was writing about, uh, actually, uh, the short story or novelette, uh, actually, from uh, sci-fi writer Ted Chang is, is titled, quote, Hell is the Absence of God, end quote. And people keep looking for this story, or when they do look for this story, Somehow, uh, Speculative Faith ended up being on the top searches at Google, just because of something she did with the title keeps sending people back. And apparently, uh, this novel that won the Hugo and Nebula Awards, uh, and it, it was set in a story world that she describes 
in this analysis, quote, The what if behind it is simple. What if hell, heaven, angels, and God were a reality, something factual, something you saw and experienced and that got reported on the news? What if faith was removed from the equation because there was no longer room for doubt? What would the world be like? What would individual human reaction to the world be like? I actually pulled up this, uh, in quote, by the way, I actually pulled up this story after, uh, after I wrote this article, and it's uh, sitting there in a tab on my browser just waiting to be read because obviously it has a lot of fans, and uh, Ted Chang actually uh, is the writer of, a, of another story called Story of Your Life, which was adapted into a major science fiction motion picture in 2016 called Arrival with Amy Adams as the scientist who's recruited to try to translate the baffling communications of aliens. I love that movie. That's a great movie. I've seen it several times. It is very cool. Highly I, recommended. Yeah, I, I bought his short story collection that includes the short story that movie is based on. How was that? Dennis Villanueva? Villanueva? How do you say it? Yeah. Yes, uh, who uh, is, uh, is directing the uh, Dune uh, adaptation. So yeah, so much atmosphere in that movie. And... Yeah, it's it's actually I think it's one that uh, that families with uh, you know older kids or teenagers yeah. can watch together. Like it's not this, an Independence Day. It's not a Men in Black. No, it's not it's, a silly or a it's just, scary. It's so character movie. driven, yeah. and yet also there's there's a great plot twist as well. Um, I haven't read the story or uh, Hell's the Absence of God just yet, but but I really want to. And obviously, its fans keep finding speculative faith, so maybe I should put more ads on that page or something. <laughs> yeah, well, he's a he's a very popular author. I mean, and, and rightly so. He's written great stuff and so it's neat that we are having conversations about him on speculative faith because he's uh, a leading voice i would say well and about the broader topic and this i think is where the debate comes in you know it's not that people are visiting this page to debate it but obviously science fiction authors are just going to keep being fascinated by religion Uh, we have this mindset in our heads that all or most science fiction is influenced by humanism and or you know mystical ideas and uh, new age type ideas uh, eastern thought i mean there's some of that in star wars obviously and uh, star trek is very influenced by classic humanism at least the original uh, versions of the series but especially in uh, uh, written science fiction these authors just can't help but go back to these themes of religion and ask what if they're just too fascinating to stay away I think even a couple of episodes ago, Zach, you mentioned the Arthur C. Clarke story about the Star of Bethlehem. What if yeah. it was a supernova? I don't think the Arthur C. Clarke actually believes there ever was a Star of Bethlehem or believed, but he couldn't stay away from the idea. Right. And he, so he we're just going to keep talking it. about those science fiction authors and, and these concepts and the, whether or not they're Christians, they're, they're just, uh, they just love these ideas and therefore, hey, come on in. You're probably going to mess up exploring the ideas from a truth perspective, but we would love to have that conversation with you and take you back to the source material in the Bible. You know, uh, not to get too off topic, but I do wonder if some of the classic writers of science fiction actually were interested in religion or they knew their audience would be. But I don't know if there's any way of knowing that. But you sure may- some of them could have been real sneaky about it. You know, the, the quickest way to subvert someone is to tell their story to them in your <laughs> own special way. Well, you mentioned Star Trek, though, and I, I've long thought that the most unbelievable thing about Star Trek is a future with no religion, like, like a human future where there's, you know, religion is this kind of quaint thing that happened hundreds of years ago, and there's also no money, <laughs> and there's no war. I'm like, how'd you get rid of all those things at once? Like, I don't know, maybe someone thinks they're all part of the same malady of human nature, but... I think so. I, I think Gene Roddenberry thought that. Yeah. But but even the original, the classic Star Trek series, 
had to because of the speech codes mention belief in monotheism and at one point like where they're fighting apollo and captain kirk says uh we're through with you and your kind uh we find the one god quite well enough thank you that was that sounds like a speech code enforcement to me he couldn't be completely atheistic in that moment in the 1960s yeah i'm mostly thinking of next gen well in Um, next gen though what's interesting is that occasionally they will slip i remember at one point dr crusher uh reunites with wesley and she says wesley oh thank god (laughs) and Dr. Crusher, are you the closeted Christian on board this humanistic starship? You know? I, I just think there's something going on with you. Say. I think it is, but in a futuristic society without God, why would you keep saying that? You know, that uh, it, I think it is one of those, maybe it was an ad lib or something in the script, but anyway, Star Trek couldn't stay away from religion for long. In Deep Space Nine, it was fully embraced. What if we'll see, uh, think Elon or think Bezos or something. Oh, yes. In the future. But, uh, Way off topic now. All right. Uh, number two, standing up to the YA fantasy Impuritans. Oh, man. So, wow. Big story. Big uh, story in 2019. Yeah. Well, g- give us a quick summary of that, and then I have some commentary on this. All right. So uh, I'll take us back, actually, to, uh, to the uh, guest article that we had just last year by L. Jaggy Lamplighter. Uh, it's either Jaggy or Jagai. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, she is herself an author, and she was summarizing what had happened when folks in the um, ecosystem of what we might call YA Twitter, YA meaning young adult, meaning fiction that's meant for young adult readers, uh, there was an author named, again, pronunciation disclaimer, Emily Wen Zhao, who was writing a book called Blood Air, which um, apparently early reviewers read and thought that she was mishandling different characters' ethnicities, and some of them began getting onto the Twitters and accusing her of cultural appropriation and basically a, a wide, basically a wide array of race-related sins. And at one point, uh, her book, Blood Air, uh, was actually going to be pulled from publication. I think the author herself was so besieged that she thought, "What is happening? I I am trying." to do my best here, may as well just pull the book. And sh- she had made it to the top. It was, a, it was a big publisher. This was a trilogy. She was under contract for it. If you know anything about how books are made, I mean, th- this is huge. It was ultimately published after some of the furor died down. Was it by the same publisher? Or I believe it? so. Okay. I mean, we've got the cover right here. But did they on, actually in the change article. all the elements that I'm not sure if the, you know, the actual contents I were changed or not? Because that's my big question. Right. And, and that's, that's, um, that's something that you know, Christians obviously are concerned about, you know, diversity rightly defined by, by Scripture. We're concerned about being sensitive to people, absolutely. But most of us would not try to ban a book unless there was something in there that was actually deceptive or harmful or, or based in plagiarism. I mean, Christians have had instances where uh, we've called nonfiction, especially nonfiction authors, to account if it turns out that they have actually stolen the content of their book from someone else without uh, attributing that person, or if they've bought their way onto a bestseller list or done some other very shady deals. Uh, There was one book that was actually recalled. Uh, It was one of the Heaven Tourism books that were popular a little while ago. Uh, The the young man who said, uh, yes, I was sick, very sick, and then I went to heaven. Uh, Yeah, it turns out he manufactured the whole thing and there's a whole family drama there and all of that. But in this case, and this is going on 
in the non-Christian publishing world, and we had um, L. Jagai Lamplighter uh, on to, to talk about that, and her, her conclusion was this, quote, if we modern Christians give way to this mob mentality of immorality and outrage, rather than standing up to those who abuse the truth, we could lose our promised land. America has been a promised land in many ways, a place of freedom and human dignity. These benefits have been vanishing in recent years, not because some tyrant has taken them from us with bayonets, but because we are ceding the willing, the, this willingly due to the insistence of the impuritans. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the article was actually called Standing Up to the YA Fantasy Impuritans, which I think is a, a really great way to, to, to label them. Uh, yeah, so I had so many thoughts about this. As Lamplighter says in the article, that the core argument against this book seemed to be not that there was a story involving slavery, but that the slavery wasn't based on skin color as it was in America's past. But in this book, you were a slave if you were a magic user, or you became a slave, or you were enslaved. And so, to quote Lamplighter, they condemned her, the author, for allowing slavery to be about anything but skin color. They actually said this. So I'll take her word for it. I, I looked into this you know, whole controversy at the time, and I just, I just walked away so... I felt so sad for this author because she's come from China to America where well, that's she, right. she, where she would expect, could be seen as an ethnic minority. Right. right. So she's in my, and if you study the cultural revolution, a lot of what has happened to this author really mirrors that experience there. So I just, I thought that was so tragically ironic. Now on a regular basis, I interact with international students from China and a big thing I always try to make them feel is welcome, like welcome here, welcome to my house, welcome to all these friendships. And this whole, you know, cancel culture did totally the opposite. So I say, just burn it all down, <laughs> like burn down this terrible culture that we, that Twitter has built up on harassing these authors and don't give in to these people. Cause first of all, I always wonder in these cases how many of these commenters are actual people versus just bots that are just, you know, regurgitating things. But I don't think or it ever. Russians. Yeah, I don't think it ever works to give into them. And I'm glad that they've they've published your book. But like I said, I don't know if they if they still caved and changing these things. But here's a bigger point I want to make. We're getting to this weird place where readers of fiction are demanding too much reality from a made up story. Like they, they don't want a story that's about a totally imaginative world. They want a story that has a message about this world. And so it's really like a matter of you don't want art, you want propaganda. I thought it was Christians who were supposed to be <laughs> like that, right? Because we, that's we, always, that's what we hear. We, <laughs> we want just fiction to be the, the disposable wrapping and then once we unwrap it and we get the truth out, we just discard the wrapping. Right. I thought that was the idea. So, oh, it doesn't matter what the sh a shell is on the outside, but only the moral truth on the inside. Uh, it's a wrong kind of pragmatism that really does fail to respect not only what art is for, but the fact that when you don't treat art that way, when you treat it as, uh, as if the making of art is a, is a good gift of God, then it's actually going to be more effective. You're going to get your way of saying something, for example, about slavery to help people imagine, not just know, not just drilled into their head like a fact from the multiplication table, but actually work through and imagine, oh, 
this is what's wrong about certain groups of people oppressing other groups of people and, and, and it, making them into slaves based on anything at all. Yeah, based on an innate attribute. Right. Whether or not it's a, a, you're a magic user or you have you know, certain colored eyes or certain colored skin, you know, if anything, changing the motivation for the slavery can actually help a reader of the story access the underlying evil. Because slavery itself is actually the fruit of, of an idolatry. It is terrible on its own. But what's more terrible is, is the evil assumption about yourself and your importance that would lead you to think, how, how dare you think that you could actually do that to another person and build an entire system based on some kind of oppression of another person. You know, and, and in America, that's been uh, often racial oppression or, or class oppression. And in other nations, we see that oppression based on other things, too, that there's religious oppression, all kinds of different motives for that. Fiction should explore all of that. And in particular, I mean, if she's from China originally and can speak into the concept of slavery or some other evil from another perspective, I think that, I mean, that, could, that should really be more helpful. And, and, and a mob, particularly on Twitter, which uh, you know, nuance is not the the strength of the venue. That's that is a problem, and I'm I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that she addressed it here, and I'm glad that the book is published. I I've not read it yet, so I can't speak to whether it's great or you know terrible or anything. But uh, on the principle of the thing, we're going to keep talking about this. You know, the cancel culture and the purpose of fiction, and more recently, of course, J.K. Rowling said something on Twitter, <laughs> and everyone tried to cancel and her. Stephen King yeah. and Stephen King. So, you know, it's getting interesting. It, it is. So this will just keep happening. And this is another example from last year of stuff that we're going to keep talking about in, in this year and in the years to come. Well, you hit on something there a minute ago. So here's my thought. Maybe the reason why people were so uncomfortable with how the slavery system worked in this book. And like I said, it, it they didn't like that it didn't reflect the real world, which is, again, so silly because we're talking about a world with magic. Okay. But maybe what they, maybe that's exactly why they didn't like it, because maybe they saw themselves too clearly in the story as the slave owner. I hadn't thought about that. So, you know, because we all like to imagine being in these magical worlds, but what if we were the power, or what if we were the oppressor instead of the oppressed? So it's similar to when Jesus was telling the parable of the tenants who were throwing out uh, the uh, the owner who kept sending people to to collect the rent and and then the Pharisees heard it and then uh, Matthew reports that when they heard it he per- they perceived that Jesus was talking about them that's the power of the story Jesus <laughs> didn't say oh and then it was a bunch of Pharisees who were renting the vineyard and not paying the rent he he just says it was tenants but right. Pharisees were smart enough the story went in through the back way and took them by surprise. That's, that's the power of art there, to ambush you, and sometimes even to convict you. Yeah, so it, to our listener, if you know more about this book, if you've read this book or can uh, offer some thoughts, please share your thoughts with us. So let's go to our final item on the list, Stephen. All right, this one uh, is probably the one of, the, at least uh, in terms of speculative faith numbers, was the, the top debate last year. And it's another Game of Thrones related one. So let's, let's bring in our disclaimer from earlier. This one isn't so much about the exploitative content where, where human actors are being made to do things that we believe they ought not do in public. 
this is still about the show though. So the topic does come up and the, the article I wrote after game of Thrones, uh, the, the finale ended and it ended up being fairly controversial just because some people were just not satisfied. The title of the article is quote, sorry, your dragon show ended stupidly End quote meme <laughs> may insult game of Thrones fans. Now I must say at first I did not want to write this article. But people, including friends of mine, and at one point, <laughs> me myself, I, I was true confession time. True here. confession time. I, I think I shared actually I shared a meme of Maria played by Julie Andrews from uh, Sound of Music uh, twirling in the Swiss Alps uh, or the Austrian Alps uh, with her hands out, and the caption just says, "This is me not caring about the Game of Thrones," <laughs> and it's true. I don't care. I support those who with within certain biblical parameters do care. Uh, it's just not my fandom, even if they didn't have naked people in it. I just, I don't think I would be that interested in the series. However, when it ended, a lot of people were upset. The ending was not satisfactory to them. The characters that didn't want to end up on the throne ended up on the throne. The character that didn't want to die ended up turning evil and dying. And the dragons burned up everything or something. I'm, I'm going off memories here of rumors. Of, I don't know why people were really that surprised. Because it seems like that was... Again, just going from what I've read and heard, it seems like the entire show is about killing everyone you like and there's really no heroes and everything stinks. Well, it was a little bit anticlimactic for me. I, uh, honestly, the first uh, meme response I wanted to post when people started saying, oh, this, uh, th this didn't work, this is terrible, what happened? It used to be so good, it got so bad, and all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute, I thought the series was based on a series of books by an author who seemed to be intentionally trying to go epic and mythic like Tolkien, but also show that all that medieval nobility stuff just wasn't going to win. Uh, this is going to be a nihilistic world, a dark world. The heroes are going to die. The bad guys are going to win or, you know, everybody's in a gray area in the absolute best case scenario. And also, you know, everybody assaults everybody else. At least it seemed that's probably an unfair stereotyping of the show. Please actually do send me notes if you need to nuance that a bit. I don't want to act like I'm on Twitter. Steven. Yes, do. Address them to me personally. It, but Or don't. Because in this case, I actually came to the defense of Game of Thrones fans. After initially sharing to my memory the meme, it just said simply, Sorry your dragon show ended stupidly. Really kind. You know, a sincere expression of build regret. Bridges. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, and I think I realized this. It, it was disrespectful to even good, decent fans of the show who didn't like it for the naked people, but liked it for the dragons and the politics and the characters and apparently right. some you know decent writing. So I, I wrote this piece saying, let's let's not insult the Game of Thrones fans. You know, the, if there's a reason to criticize the show, it's not because it's a dragon show, but because let's just come right out and say it. It's a naked show. That's why I've criticized it. It's got naked people in it. It exploits humans, uh, uses them for the story at the expense of people's dignity. If if we're going to criticize it, let's do that, but not because it's a dragon show. And here's why I said, quote, if we share the sorry your dragon show meme with that phrase, fantasy fans might actually hear an echo like this. I don't care about the stories you're interested in. Fantasy is intrinsically shallow, absurd, and stupid. By not caring about the stories you like, I care little about you. Hey, nerd, put down your dopey comics and pay up your lunch money, haul, haul. I kid with that last bit, but honestly, the dragon show part could sound like plain bullying. I see these non-fantasy jocks, 
possibly wearing 90s faded denim cutoff shorts and backward turned baseball caps. Ouch. Harassing the nerd with thick glasses and knee high socks. End quotes. So that's the image I got in sharing the meme. It felt like bullying. It felt like rubbing it in. Yeah. I think even if people have a fandom that we don't share, I think we need to respect their humanity at least and ask them first and foremost what they liked about this show. For Christian fans, even those who watch Game of Thrones, I'm going to try not to presume they're there for the stuff that they ought not be watching. I'm going to presume that either they think that doesn't bother them or they fast forward it and that they're actually in it for the dragons and the politics and the characters and all of that. Well, and you know, we talk about building bridges and I think you're getting on something so important here. You and I have not watched the show. So I, I have so many friends that are more spiritual than you. (laughs) The one thing I regret about that is that I have a lot of friends I can't talk to about it like neighbors and and other people I know around town. So uh, listener, if you are a Christian that has watched this show and you've got a friend at work or a friend otherwise that, that doesn't know the Lord, this is a great opportunity for discussion because perhaps the reason this show is so disappointing is because nihilism itself is disappointing. Zach, what do we mean by nihilism? We both use the word. We probably ought to say what, what oh, we understand this that to is mean. Like, uh, this is like my intro to philosophy. I have a song for back it. to haunt me I have that, a I song. that I skipped. Well, I, I'll just skip to a song then. It's from Lego Batman from the Lego oh, movie. We're going to have a singing episode. Darkness. No parents. Continue <laughs> darkness in the basement. Curtains drawn. Other things that are dark. And that's the that's nihilism. That's the extent of the copyright allowance. We're all but, evil. Um, There's no hope. That's it. Thank you. Right. And so I, I think that, again, not knowing a whole lot, if you know better than me, please correct me, but that does, as an outsider, seem like what the theme or the texture or the feeling of the show is. And I think the way it ended seems to have just been a realization of that. Now, I did hear someone say, well, they wanted to take a certain character there to this like dark and horrible tyrant kind of role, but they just rushed it and they whatever, develop things too quickly for the character arc. I don't know, but I think, again, it comes down to there was no happy ending, and that's what people wanted, that, or that's what everyone really wants. Happy Deep ending. down, you think even if they thought they were in it for the gray areas and the, the darkness yes. and the murkiness, deep down, you think they intuitively wanted the happy ending? I think everyone wants a happy ending. I, I, I think, think we people, kid ourselves if we think we want something else. Yeah, I, I think a lot, of, of course people say, well, I don't, I don't care about happy, happily ever after, but who doesn't want a happy, who doesn't want a happy ending for their own life or for the lives of those they love? You know, I think it's as simple as that. And so, you know, listener, this is a great opportunity for you at you to have a discussion with others about why did why did this show disappoint at its core? It's not because of the dragons, and it's not because of the fantasy. That's not the that's not the reason we would, uh, as Christians, criticize the show or challenge the show in a prophetic way, as more people are doing with not just Game of Thrones, but The Witcher and any other shows that really do seem to just add these scenes where. You know, people are walking around without their clothes on or assaulting each other or things that, unlike violence or even use of bad language, actually require people to become exploited. There's no other way to get these scenes until computer graphics improve and you can do this in animation. But even then, who are your character models? You know, every loophole gets would need to get closed in some way, I think. But let's try to respect 
the folks who enjoyed this show for apparently the common grace blessed moments there. Sure. You know, even evil people, Jesus said, can give good gifts to their children. That's an example of what theologians call common grace. Even the professionalism that people would have in, in making the, the animation for the show, making those dragons look really real, or, or making the good guys where, where you can find them act good. All of that is a very faint reflection of light from God himself. So people are drawn to stories like this, not just because of the evil that's reflected there, but sometimes because of the good that's reflected there. Because even though humans by nature are evil, God has given us little bits of good that we just can't help but seek out, even in a show like Game of Thrones or The Witcher or other shows that, uh, that have a lot of issues with them. Well, tell us what your favorite topic was from this list, listener. Let us know on our website. We'll have a poll that you can uh, chime in on or email us at podcast at lorehaven.com. And maybe we'll just do an episode on whatever topic gets the most votes. I think that'd be a lot of fun to know what you, you and all the other listeners think is the most interesting topic from this list. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show. We're a new show and we'd love for more people to hear about this show. So tell a friend and share about this show with others and email us your feedback. What kind of topics do you like? What kind of books do you like? We'd love to know what you're interested in. And what do you expect to be debating about as a Christian fan of fantasy going forward in the year 2020? Uh, you can also subscribe to Lorehaven Magazine. That is a free online publication. We put it out every quarter. It is full of reviews of Christian-made fantasy, sci-fi, and beyond published novels. Uh, you can also get uh, access to the podcast on the website and those daily articles from the Speculative Faith blog. Join the conversation. You can also comment on uh, this podcast listing at the website and let us know in that poll uh, what you think is, uh, is the topic that warrants further discussion in a future episode of the podcast. For now, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, next time, we are going to talk to someone who actually had watched the show uh, The Witcher and had uh, reviewed that show and had some concerns as well about the, the content therein, some of the exploitation of actors. But unlike us, uh, he has actually seen the show, and so he's a little bit better informed to go in depth about that. He actually shared his article on the Lorehaven Facebook page, which you can get to by facebook.com slash lorehavenmag, and got a, really, uh, got a lot of really good comments from folks about that on, on all sides of the issue. So we'll explore all of that on this quest. Thank you again for joining us on this quest. Next time, we'll do the same thing we always do here. We will seek and find fantastical truth.